0: You're listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org.
1: Well, welcome, uh, Welcome, everybody. Good afternoon. The April 8th, 2022 edition of Off Script, American Theater's podcast, and all things theatrical. I'm the editor-in-chief, Rob Weiner Kent. My pronouns are he, him. And I'm coming to you from uh, Queens, the land of the Muncie, Lenape, and Canarsie. That's not my background, but I'll explain my background in a second. And I'm here with...
0: Alexandra Pearson. I'm the associate editor here at American Theater. I'm also coming to you from Queens, but from Astoria, uh, the land of the Muncie, Lenape, and Canarsie people. Um, Yeah, you want to say a few words about your background, Rob?
1: My background, yes, my background, I'm very excited to, to say, is the interior of the Mixed Blood Theater in Minneapolis. I've not been there, but we will go there virtually today uh, to talk to uh, the outgoing, in all senses, artistic director, Jack Ruler and his successor, who's just been named, Mark Valdez. Uh, I go back a ways with Mark Valdez to my cornerstone LA days, but uh, Jack looms large over the, over the American theater scene. I've heard his reputation for years. Can't wait to talk to them in a couple minutes. Uh, about that transition, about that theater, about Minneapolis and all that. So first we'll talk a little bit about what we've been publishing and what's going on in the theater field. Um, we had a wonderful piece uh, by uh, Nicole Esfanek-Taylor who was a managing editor of American Theater years ago. It's great to publish her again. She moved up to Boston and worked for MIT for a while uh, and now she's freelancing again. But that's, that's the backdrop of the story. She pitched a story about Kirsten Greenwich. Who's a Boston-based playwright um, who we've covered for over on and off over the years and she's having a sort of mini season of two plays not in rep but two plays in a row at uh, the Huntington in Boston. The first is called Our Daughters Like Pillars and it's a it's a personal story um, based a lot on her family. I I guess Kirsten Greenwich lives with her two sisters and their families and some sort of living arrangement which sounds both Wonderful, and maybe a little claustrophobic. So I think that's a little bit about what what that piece is is about. Um, and then she's also got a piece called Common Ground Revisited, which is uh, a sort of a staging, a docu theater staging, I think, of a famous uh, definitive book about busing's, uh, busing, busing anti segregation efforts in Boston and how they went and how they went wrong, and what still needs to be done. And she sort of revisited that book literally. Um, uh, to sort of flush it out with some of the voices that were not part of it, while also uh, honoring that, that book's legacy. So that is coming up in, in, in May. Our Daughters Like pose is running right now, and that's coming up in May. So it's a Boston playwright keeping it close to home. That's a wonderful, wonderful uh, piece you should take a look at. Ali, what are you going to tell us about?
0: Yeah um, this week we also had a great story about Michael Bloom's production of Nathan the Wise which is a, a largely forgotten 18th century comic fable that has historically made waves in Germany for its themes of political and religious tolerance and it's all about Michael Bloom's decision to stage the production and kind of bring bring the story back.
1: Hmm. Yeah that's a good one. Uh, yeah M- Michael Bloom who was a artist director of Cleveland Playhouse for a while and as a director written about directing he's, he's been a, also written for American theater all, all the way back to the 80s writing pieces uh, for American theater as well as practitioners so we love those practitioners who also write um, and uh, then in this case he wrote about his his own practice something he did I want to just I want to just give a shout out to our other one of our other podcasts the subtext which uh, has been killing it lately. Uh, interview with Rajiv Joseph a couple, couple of weeks ago, a month ago, um, but more recently, uh, they did a special edition um, where, they, where Brian James Polak, who does the, uh, who puts that together and hosts that, has done a couple over the pandemic, a couple of things where he had folks just call in to align line and record messages about how they're doing, how they're, how, they're cope, how they're coping with the pandemic. He did one recently about U- Ukraine. Uh, artists who've worked there, lived there, people who are Ukrainian and Russian about their feelings about that, the war and what, what, what people can do uh, to help. Um, and then he also did one his first live subtext on the stage of the Forward Theater uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, where he's based. Um, he talked to Amy Kwan Berry, who's a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, who the Forward Theater commissioned to write a play called the Mytilenean Debate. We have a feature about that you can look back on um, that mike fisher wrote for us but also uh brian had a wonderful conversation uh with her about the writing process being a poet it becomes a playwright it's a very common path um and i'll, t- I'll talk about another poet playwright in a minute but um anyway that's definitely worth a listen um we have another podcast i'll, I'll tease it coming up soon called theatrical mustang from another wisconsin artist uh, and practitioner coincidentally uh, named Woodzik, but That's coming up soon, you can look for that in our podcast feed. Uh, We also have a book excerpt we published, Ali.
0: Yeah, Uh, an excerpt from Dan Friedman's book, Performance Activism, Precursors and Contemporary Pioneers. And this particular chapter is focused on Sanjay Kumar, a pioneer of performance activism in India and all of his work over there. Uh, It's really interesting to read about what happens when you take performance outside of the theater uh, and so that's a great read for anyone who's interested.
1: Yeah that's a good, it's a, we get a lot of books come into us and we try to review some but others we just we excerpt them and so that's a that's a great way to read a lot of the literature being written about theater and scholarship. Um, I mentioned poet playwrights and uh, we had a, a piece by Brittany Samuel who's one of the three editors of Three Views and a wonderful writer and critic and i believe dramaturg and practitioner herself as well. She wrote about help the Claudia ranking um, uh, staged essay i guess you could say there's at the shed. It was one of the productions i covered in uh, we covered in our our um, roundup of shows that you know how they fared through the pandemic. This help was supposed to be staged in March and we had a few performances in March of 2020 then went away and it came back and uh, Brittany wrote a reflection on, on how the piece worked for her. And I think she brings up a really interesting point. She also wrote a piece for us on Fairview, which is one of the pieces she compared it to, um, in which she talked about how help, which is about uh, Claudia Rankin's experiences as a Black woman trying to talk to white people about race and privilege, and especially white men, about their privilege and, and how that goes, which is not always well. Um, uh, what Brittany talks about is as a a black woman herself, um, how these plays, which are geared toward challenging the white gaze, how they play for different audiences. This was a big question that came up for Fairview. Um, I think it's not spoiling it to say after all this time that Fairview definitely challenges the white gaze, literally it asks white folks in the audience to get up on stage at the end. Um, And it plays differently depending on the percentage of of white and non-white folks in the audience. Um, and I think Brittany brings up interesting points about who was help for the play help, not the concept of help, but who, who is it for? And who is it really speaking to? And she talks about some of the things she felt that it might've missed, um, but it's a, fa- it's a fascinating essay. And I think it's worth looking at. I think help has a few more performance dates at the shed. That's a, a, a venue in New York that's fairly new. Um, definitely worth a look and worth, worth a read. Um, so we are excited today I don't have a great segue for this. I think performance activism might have been a good segue because that's a bit of what this company in many is known for, Mixed Blood Theater, which was founded in 1976 by Jack Ruler, as a summer project when he was working for a social service agency called the Center for Community Action. And 46 years later, it's a, it's a summer program run amok, as he often calls it. It's since premiered dozens of world premieres and, and, and worked with amazing artists, introduced a lot of groundbreaking programs, including Radical Hospitality. Peter won the TCG Peter Zeiser Memorial Award in 2010. Peter, Peter, I meant, <laughs> I meant Jack. Jack, Jack, you won the, the Peter Zeiser Memorial Award in 2010 from TCG. Jack, why don't you come on and say hello? And you got mixed blood theater behind you there.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: It's great to have you. We also have your successor, Mark Baldez, who's, who's a, served as Associate Director of Cornerstone Theater Company, Executive Director of the Network of Ensemble Theatres, and you are the recipient of this year's SDC Zelda Chandler Award. You've directed a lot of mixed blood and, and worked with them over the years. Mark, you're calling us from, where is it again?
3: Uh, I am in Mesa, Arizona, uh, doing some community organizing uh, prep work for a project that we're doing here.
1: Amazing, amazing. Well, I wanna just go back, I wanna to talk to both of you about, you know, the history and the future, the present, all those things. I wanted to go back, Jack, I've always wondered, where does the name Mixed Blood itself come from? And just tell me a little about the origins of the, the company.
2: Well, I think the, the story of the naming <laughs> will be somewhat disappointing is that I had <laughs> come up with the idea for the theater. I was 21, I think, when I came up with it. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend who was uh, delivered things in a truck and he liked to take posters off of telephone poles. And over his toilet <laughs> was this poster for a band. And the picture of the band looked like what I wanted The composition of the theater to look like. And on that poster was just an adjective, watch for the mixed blood sound of whatever the name of the band was. So it was really just an adjective. And in (laughs) Minneapolis, which uh, is really the largest uh, urban native community in the country, the idea of a mixed blood person is a fairly common expression. So it wasn't intended to be revolutionary. I stole it off a poster over a toilet. <laughs> and, and it was a word used, but it really has become a good uh, description for the organization. And the origins of the company really, I was a zoology major planning to go to veterinary school. I was an activist. I actually, if you talk about Kirsten Greenwich's stuff, uh, there were some people that believed in the organizer and me and sent me uh, in 1975 to Boston to work during those busing issues and did some organizing there and then came back and uh, there was a provoking incident but I started as you say during the bicentennial America had this 200th birthday in 1976 and it was going to be to put American ideals on stage and at a time when the melting pot was sort of the prevailing racial politics it's not what I believed in and I wanted to use the stage as a voice to display something quite different. And hmm, so okay. I, I deferred vet school, and then I deferred it again, and I've stayed all these all these years.
1: It's stuck. It's stuck. Um, I I think um, it had did it have identification as a as a black theater? You worked a lot of uh, I think Dutchman was the first play that you staged, and then you worked a lot with uh, with Ed Bullens and other folks in the black arts. Was that one of the one, one of the focuses, or is it was it as it, as the title uh, indicates a mixed?
2: All, yeah, all I mean, think yeah. in that uh, continuum of culturally specific organizations. Ours yeah. was really about a multiplicity of identities, and okay, uh, but yes, I and Ed Bowens, It was a, I had a great relationship with him, and some of those shows in the beginning. But in that first company, in the first summer, we had twenty three people, ten African American, six Native, and seven white, and in ten weeks we did five shows and turned an old firehouse into a theater, <laughs> uh, and I had no idea what I was doing.
1: <laughs> We've since learned what you're doing, right? <laughs>
2: I, by the end of June, I hope to
1: <laughs> get there, you get there. One more question I want to ask you about just what was Minneapolis like as a community then? I mean, it's obviously changed a lot in 46 years. Uh,
2: yeah. I mean, I, my, uh, family came to Minneapolis in the 19th century. There's five generations of our family in the twin cities. So I was always, you know, there was never a notion other than to affect some change and provide a voice, uh, in Minneapolis, but yeah, I think the Minneapolis, the Scandinavian-Germanic uh, history of the Twin Cities, and certainly was changing then, and has changed a lot. And even the block on which, uh, the block on which we reside, which when we started the theater, Mary Tyler Moore, the fictional character of Mary Richards, lived on our block, and now on our block there's 5,000 people that come from uh, 63 countries and speak 92 languages, and are Mostly East African and Muslim, and none of them remind me of Mary Tyler Moore.
1: <laughs> Don't throw their hat in the air. That's right.
2: No.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, my next question, let's get let's get a uh, Mark in the mix here. How did you come to Mixed Blood Theater and how does it feel to be continuing this legacy? <laughs>
3: Uh, It feels great. Uh, It feels really good and uh, super humbled, super honored, super excited and a little overwhelmed. uh, All of all of those things. Um, I I met Jack, I think we met when he was doing a a site visit right back when the NEA used to do site visits. he, I was with Cornerstone and we were doing a uh, Body of Faith, uh, part of our faith-based cycle, uh, Luis Alfaro play. And um, Jack came out to do a site visit for, uh, of Cornerstone for the NEA. And um, we got to talking and then uh, I think we saw each other again at the TCG conference, maybe in Seattle. And, uh, and he was looking for a director to come in and direct a, a bilingual show. Uh, and, uh, and asked if I might be interested and I, I was just transitioning out of cornerstone at the time. And it was like, great, a great job. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, that was, uh, 15 years ago and I've been directing it with mixed blood at mixed blood, um, pretty steadily over those 15 plus years, um, uh, and, uh, got to develop a, a wonderful friendship with Jack and, you know, mixed, blood has really been an artistic home, uh, for, for many years. So, uh, so kind of feels. Feels like a good transition. I yeah. I know that Mark, that you
1: were uh, your focus has been ensemble theater, and I, is Mixed Blood are they part of the network of ensemble theaters, or are they, are they is that not their ethos? They're
3: not, okay. not. I don't think Mixed Blood yeah. has ever. I don't know, Jack. Have y'all ever identified as an ensemble? Yeah.
1: Okay, no, just I just wonder. Yeah, yeah
3: there's certainly uh, kind of shared values and uh you know and, and i think like, like so many theaters you know it's interesting you know jack when you're talking about your origin story there you said that we had a company you know like the, the resident company and you know the resident companies and ensembles and and certainly that's something that um i you know i care a lot about and think a lot about and so um yeah just kind you know interesting to kind of note that that focus and you you know are you no longer with the network of ensemble theaters that i am a member i'm an individual member and then uh with my colleague astra sparks we have a little company called mark and sparks and we are uh uh, we're an ensemble members uh but uh, but that's really my my connection with net other than just being a big believer and supporter of this wonderful organization it's great great
0: and jack i don't mean to get a little sentimental but you've been with mixed blood for 46 years now how does it feel to be Stepping down?
2: Uh, No, it is. I have no idea who I am without uh, the title, and so no. I both look forward to the next chapter. People should have more than one job in their life. I have this one line resume, um, but I dread it as well. And uh, it's great to have you know a good friend and a you know such an admired artist taking it over. But it it will be an emotional experience, and uh, I'll tell you on July seventh how I feel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> It'll either be, what have I done, or why didn't I do this 10 years ago?
0: For sure, okay. yeah.
1: I'm wondering, obviously it's been a, a, a really uh, strange time the past couple of years for for theaters, for the country, but also for, for theater specifically. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how the pandemic and the racial reckoning has affected your work as just individually and in your life as artists, but also, you know, the theater. I guess you could start with you, Mark. It's,
3: sure i mean like you know i was a freelancer during all of the the, the pandemic times. so so definitely you know it, it just shifted all of the projects and some of the work you know uh i was we were just about to go into rehearsals for a pearl click play at the alliance and uh we ended up pivoting and uh we turned that play into an animated short so uh, so I'm now kind of an animation director adding that to the resume we've done we since did another cartoon uh and so that was kind of an unexpected joy uh you know we created uh, content you know uh, the, this project that we did with mixed blood around affordable housing um that you know we we created a digital version of that show in advance of the in real life and and so in, in a lot of ways it was really busy um and uh and it's been good you know, uh, uh uh you know i mean it's just like still i think we're still trying to figure out what the what all the impacts of of the pandemic uh are uh kind of personally mentally spiritually physically all of those things and and certainly for the field uh and the racial reckoning you know that that is um that just, it just kind of lives, the, the continues to live and live in me and, and the questions that, that were raised and, and just thinking about justice and thinking about uh, equity and thinking about, um, you know, the, the problems that with our systems and, and how, how, you know, like, like, thinking a lot about just like how are we using our tools as artists to, to change these systems and really mm-hmm. change policies and and you know uh and and i think that's a lot of the work that i think mixed blood and its new strategic plan has just kind of identified and, and worked certainly that that is what i want to be working on but but it, it feels like action you know like, like it, it's, it's like we we talk it's it's easy to do the talk and it's it's a whole other thing to uh to take the action and, and so how do we start to to use these tools to use our our, our medium for action, you know, and uh, and yeah, not not letting, not not getting complacent. Yeah, I mean,
1: Jack. Obviously, the the racial reckoning we're referring to has its epicenter just ten blocks from your theater, right? Um,
2: blocks from my home, yeah.
1: Yeah, for your home. Sorry, yeah. Um, obviously, you know, Mixed Blood has had it from its inception, as we spoke about, has had a commitment to diversity, inclusion, or however you want to define that. But um, I guess. The larger question also is just the state of the, the theater in general, uh, in regards not only to that, but the, also to to the pandemic. I know those don't really always go together, those two, but if you could ask, address yeah, those.
2: You know, we are uh, mixed blood. I think, because adaptability has been its model for sustainability, and we've sort of stuck around because we reinvent ourselves. So we actually started a strategic planning process on March 18th of 2020. Uh, It was clear that the world was changing and who are we gonna become? And for uh, a group of board members, staff members, and Mark, uh, who was invited in, he was a resident artist at the time, uh, for an hour and a half a week for seven months, we chewed on it to reinvent ourselves. And uh, we took it personally that theater was at the lowest tier of essential uh, as the essential was being determined. And really uh we took what our assets were so in the summer of 2020 we became a food shelter in the uprising in the aftermath of george floyd's murder and uh voter registration and census taking and COVID testing you know and, and commissioned a number of artists but it really was uh that was clearly the time when in that strategic planning a leadership transition was in order Uh, And I really am sort of been a Pollyanna cheerleader for Minneapolis as the greatest city in the universe for most of my adult life. And I really took a second look and uh, I don't know if I recanted it, but I certainly revisited personally. And what could we do for this city and what could we do? Uh, And so that the strategic plan that Mark referenced was really going from revealing the change that needs to be made through our work to driving the change and having a sustained call to action. And uh, I think Mark, nobody better to do that than Mark. And we're very excited, but it was a major transformation. Lisa Mount uh, from a, a Georgia led it. And uh, it was a really great process that engaged the board and then a good succession process that followed that.
0: Yeah, that's that's so important. Um, building off of that strategic plan and you know all of the wonderful planning you've been doing, I know that Mixed Blood identifies as just as much a social justice organization as a theater. Um, For both uh, Jack and Mark, uh, what does it mean to lead a mission-driven theater as opposed to a commercial theater? Uh, Maybe do you have any goals or priorities that you try to keep in the back of your mind every day or anything
3: like that? I'll let you start with that one mark well i i don't know because i haven't led the theater so i don't i I have some 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 uh uh some some assumptions you know uh 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 and certainly things that i hold close in terms of just how you how you kind of operate from values which is what i I hope i've tried to do in 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 life and in my work uh but but it's that you know it's the uh, uh you know mixed blood mixed blood offers their plays for free you know so so it, it's you know really it's not just not doing not doing commercial theater but it's just not even relying on box office so you can really center the work like what is the conversation what where does the work need to happen who does it need to happen with who do we need to engage with who need to partner with this. so so that becomes the measure of success uh and and like are we moving needles forward you know or are we kind of like shifting needles and and moving us forward as, as, a, as a society, culture, kind of community. Um, so, so that becomes, you know, as I step into, like th- those are the things that I think about, like holding on to and, and pointing to. I mean, Jack, how about from your perspective.
2: Well, I mean, I think you know, you ask, how does it feel to be a mission-driven organization? If there are TCG members that don't consider themselves mission-driven organizations, they should probably reconsider their membership. Uh, I mean, it's just sort of, it's the litmus test we need to use as any nonprofit, whether a theater or otherwise, in uh, how we gauge success and how we determine if what we're doing is successful. But, uh, you know, we did in the course of that strategic planning process, there was really an exciting conversation of should we take, is Mixed Blood an arts organization or is it a movement? And should we take the word theater out of our name? And it got a lot of conversation. The end decision was that we are a theater and we should still be mixed blood theater. But the fact that we had that conversation and what our purpose is on earth and in our building and in our community uh, was clarified for all involved.
1: You know, it strikes me we're, we're at some disadvantage that we haven't haven't, we haven't seen your work. We certainly can list, read the list of plays and look at photos and and and, and have people write about you. What, Jack, what would you say, made a mixed-blood play? What, was there an aesthetic? Was there, I And mean, it's a long, it's a long legacy to, to look back on, but was there a certain thing that, yeah, that's a play for my theater and that's not for, not that the other one goes to Guthrie, this is for me.
2: Well, well, it's always, I've always gotten a hard time that people say my lone aesthetic is 90 minutes, no intermission. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a lot of people's aesthetic. <laughs>
2: I, I would say that, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's things that really do speak to the mission, but there's a certain irreverence that comes mm-hmm. with, that there's a certain, uh, you know, I think that we tried, so that, so that early in our lives, we realized that if we were to be taken seriously, not always be some sort of hyphenated organization, it's good race-based theater, it's good experimental theater, it's good political theater, that we needed to meet any other organization at the crossroads of quality and be able to meet or exceed them. And so having the highest professional standards, And when we've done some of the community-based work like Cornerstone has, and there's community members alongside professional actors, it's really created a lot of internal conversation uh, about that authenticity virtuosity balance. Uh, And I think that it's probably leaned in my era uh, toward the virtuosity thing, but I don't think that one needs to choose. But I would say 90 minutes, no intermission, Irreverent, fairly fast-paced, oftentimes physical, um, but that really call into question, how can we create a change in attitude, behavior, or policy by doing this work? And again, I think the big change from, through the strategic planning was going from revealing a change that needs to be made to trying to make the change. I don't know if that actually gave it to you, but. Uh... Oh,
1: no, that that gives me a sense of it. Mark, Mark, I know you directed you directed a bunch of interesting plays there. That, uh, my friend Molly's play in Elemental P. Yeah. But uh, the most people home may be Viet Gone. That gives me some idea of what kind of plays, but w- would would you second uh, Jack's uh, list of adjectives irreverent, fast
3: paced? <laughs> Sure. Yeah, all of those things are great. Uh, I don't. I don't mind long. I also don't like. I also don't mind epic. Like I I wouldn't. You know, like like a a ten hour piece kind of also seems like it could be kind of cool. I mean, one of my favorite plays was the Elevator Repair Service when they did Gats. You know, like. Mm -hmm. I sat through that several times because I thought it was so great. So so I don't mind I don't mind the epic piece. You yeah, know, but but that's part of it. I yeah, you know, I grew up at Cornerstone, Rob. So mm-hmm. so you know, so so I, I that influence just is so ingrained in me and so like these epic kind of big idea kind of big stories, complex, lots of people, like all of that just holds a lot of appeal. Uh uh, you know, I, I I'm for whatever reason, I I love, you know, my brain just gravitates towards the, you know, what, what is the What is the biggest, most complicated thing that we can do? And uh, I I tend to kind of like those projects. Um, Right, right.
2: Yeah, the unproducible play is something that I gravitate
0: toward. Okay. Seems like you like a challenge. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious um, about Mixed Bloods, I mean, they have, you have so many wonderful programs, but specifically your Radical Hospitality program and kind of where that came from?
2: Uh, you know, the origins of Radical Hospitality is that uh, it, it really was, we were doing shows that, um, we did a series of focus groups with our, not only our audiences, but the audiences that we'd like to have. And just said, what are the barriers to your participation in live theater in general and Mixed Blood more specifically. And we just made a big list. And they're those classic focus groups with one-way mirrors and groups of people and a professional facilitator. And um, and we just made that list. So when uh, I came to the board, and, and the cost was the one across all of them. Everybody said, you know, live theater is a white elitist art form and it's unaffordable by people. So the cost was across all of them, but radical hospitality was supposed to be about is supposed to be about uh, combating all those barriers. And so when I went to the board and said, here's what we want to do, it took like about 14 months of discussion in each of the committees and different board members. Uh, And eventually it came to, is this a mission-driven proposition? Is this a value proposition? Uh, What is it? And it finally came to a unanimous vote to move forward. And then we said, okay, how do we pay for it? But interestingly, everybody's first question over the last dozen years since we started doing it is, how do you pay for that? Um, but in a time like the pandemic, when we weren't reliant on earned income, and uh, on box office income, it actually, Mixed Blood is in a very healthy position because it doesn't really, and it's super freeing for an artistic director to not have box office pressures make the, you know, influence the decision making. Um, but it really has been, and I think it transferred from an initiative or a program to a core value of the organization is how does radical hospitality saturate everything that we do? And that that is part of uh, every staff members and board members thinking. Uh, so it's really, it is a big important part of who we are and it changed us in, internally. And I think it changed external perceptions of who we were and try, we're trying to be.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, that's so incredible, um, and so valuable. Um, do you, I know it's been a long time, but do you have any highlights or specific, whether it's a production or a program or something, somebody, a response that somebody had that you're very proud of, you know, that jump out at you when you think about your work?
2: You know, there are those moments, and there's a huge part of the work that Mixblood did that was very much about cross-sector relationships And we had a a long history of doing work in healthcare and in the legal profession. And before DEI was even a term, we were sort of being hired to use theater to provide, first it was diversity training, then it was pluralism training uh, and and inclusion training in all sorts of different uh, non-theater institutions. Um, And so just a couple of, you know, a lot in nonviolence. And so one story, I know that we, three managed healthcare systems came to us and said, we want to deal with violence as a health care issue, not a law enforcement issue. What do we do? And of course, you know, when you have those major issues, who do you go to But the theater people to ask those for the answers? But we did this battery of focus groups with victims of violence and perpetrators of violence and emergency room workers and law enforcement, social workers. And this playwright that I worked with, uh, we have a great long partnership, said, I've got it. It's this country Western musical about the opportunities and missed opportunities of the healthcare profession to detect and prevent violence. And I was like, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. But that show went on to have about a five-year life. And I I can really remember one time in a makeshift theater in a suburban hospital. Uh, We did it one day and two days later, we did it uh, in another hospital makeshift theater. And somebody came and said, I saw your show two days ago. I went home, I got out of a violent situation. I'm living in a shelter. And I brought five more people to come and see the show here. And it's moments like that. And and there's a million of those that sort of make a career worth having when you can actually change somebody's life tangibly. And there's other things we've done that have really changed policies and in measurable ways. Um, So, yeah, there's lots of stories about, you know, we had (laughs) to die on stage one time. I could go through those stories, but I don't think those are the ones you're talking
1: about. Did someone die on stage, you said? wow what was the name of that what was the name of that music country western musical i think i missed that if you said,
2: it uh, well you know it wouldn't be in our roster of shows because this whole thing it was originally called enter training and then it was called mixed okay. blood on the job um, okay but it was called uh ring of fire oh wow
1: and after the johnny cash song i guess
2: Johnny uh, and
1: yeah <laughs> that's amazing wow uh, that's a,
0: so powerful
3: yeah we
1: have a couple questions from facebook actually because uh, this, this is going out live they, so we had a question about the radical hospitality, which we asked, but they asked actually asked Mark how you how are you are you planning to continue that? I guess you are, and how, what are your thoughts? Absolutely,
3: yeah, no, I think I think, uh, I think it, you know how to I, continue it and grow it. You know, what does it mean to grow it? You know, Jack talked about it being a, an organizational value, and so so what does that mean? How does that live across across everything that the that the institution does? You know, so what does it look like in? In you know, across all departments, what does it look like in and uh, in everything that we do? You know how we make commissions.
1: Mm-hmm. You know
3: where the work is happening, who it's happening with. You know, so so it really is just like taking that and just um, growing it, just like really kind of nurturing and growing and and see where that takes us.
1: It's true. It, yeah. is, it is called radical hospitality, not free tickets. It's it's like it's a larger Correct.
3: idea, right? <laughs> just yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, it really like, like, how do we just make it welcoming? You know, like mm-hmm. how, do, how do you just feel welcomed in this, in this building? How do, how do you feel welcomed in your city? You know, it's just belonging and, and just like, that hospitality piece just feels really real and, uh, and necessary.
1: It does feel like a lot, a lot yeah. of the we see, sorry, we see you might have a theater document was about making not just audiences, actors, artists, welcome, not just, you know, and not just with ticket prices. Jack, you were going to say something. Sorry.
2: No, no, go ahead.
1: Oh no. Okay. Well, the other question from Facebook was, I think it's for you, Jack. You said something earlier about someone asked. I'm curious, what was off-putting about the melting pot idea? Um,
2: uh, the, the, you know, the, the, when the racial politics were the melting pot, and we were supposed to create some sort of whitewashed milk toast culture in which we were all found our com what was what we had in common, and that was what was going to define us, rather than a celebration of difference. Right. Uh, so you pay positive attention to difference, not no attention to difference, and that was really at the core of that 22-year-old idealist that started a summer project.
1: Great, great. I did have a question about how Mixed Blood fits into the Minneapolis theater scene, which is a really robust and interesting and diverse scene. With the, you know, uh, there's the Guthrie, obviously, but there's Penumbra and the Jungle and 10,000 Things. Uh, I wonder how, how you, Jack, how you feel you fit in your relationship with those other theaters? Is it a a friendly, friendly competition, friendly rivalry, um, colleagues, and then I guess Mark, I'll ask you, you know, how you how what your outreach has been to the to the community.
2: You know, I think the Twin Cities theater community has been looked on like a unicorn over time. That there's this, in you know, idea that the streets are lined with rolls and there's this great philanthropy that supports everything. But I will say the thing I am proudest of is that there isn't. Uh, the I think that we are all on the same side and our competition is not one another. Um, mm-hmm. So it is a very collegial community of artistic directors and organizations that try to help each other succeed. And uh, again, I, I look in the mirror about that Pollyanna thing I was talking about earlier, but I think <laughs> that's really real that the organizations here, the ones that are brand new, there used to be a real stratification in a sense that so goes the Guthrie, so goes the rest of us. And that right. long since disappeared. And we are all one lateral theater community that brings something different with very little in overlapping identities and missions so you Mm -hmm. rarely see theaters competing for the same material uh, and things like that so I think uh, we feel blessed to be in this community and I think it's been a great community in which to grow and many people I've learned from for a long long time
3: The Twin Cities does feel like uh, like the unicorn, you know, like I, I have not been in a city where there are so many people who actually want to go see theater, like they, they love, you have an audience, you have a community that just wants to support theater, loves going, so uh, so that has really been uh, uh, great to watch, and... Uh, great to kind of enter and just be a part of this this community i i, I will say like the the one of the things i'm really excited about is just um getting to meet folks you know uh, uh, other theater companies but artists uh and just uh you know again just from from cornerstone days it's like really giving a lot of thought to how do you you know as an outsider how do you enter community you know how do you build relationships how do you get to know people uh and everybody's just been so welcoming you know just gotten such wonderful um Emails and calls from, from the various theater companies, Peter Brocious and Joe and Robin at the, at the Jungle and Mina mm-hmm. Depankar at Pangea and Marin Ward at Zamia, Leah Cooper. I mean, it's just, just a great group of people who have all just been so uh, welcoming. So super exciting.
1: That's great. That's great. Uh, I, I think I wanted to ask you, Mark, which parts of Jack's legacy are you going to build on? I think we've, got, we've you've talked about some of that and what new things will you bring that
3: are uniquely Mark Valdez? Mixed blood, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, great question. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I, you know, I mean, I, I, I think everything like, 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 you know, I mean, Jack and, and the people that Jack has brought in, you know, the, the folks, the board, the artists, you know, like a lot of people have made mixed blood, and, and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing, and so, so it really is just like taking that and building on it you know it, it's all work and and ideals to um, to be lifted up and and to just keep moving forward. And, and you know, oftentimes when it, you know, like the, the, these kind of um, succession questions and, you know, like how do you, how do you fill in these shoes? And I think that, I, I don't think you try, you know, I think, you know, I've, I've already got some shoes on and so I'm not, I'm not going to try to fill them, but I'm just gonna, I'm going to kind of keep walking a path, but, but it's a path that has been set and laid and, and just kind of identified by, by Jack and, and everybody that, that has kind of contributed to the company. And so, so just keep walking. I mean, I think that's the, the best tribute is to is to build on that is to take that and honor it and and, and keep it growing. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then, uh, you know, and then I just get excited about like civic scale, you know, like, how do we work at a citywide scale? How are we addressing citywide problems, you know, and, 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 and really, the, the, you know, that, that, that action piece, you know, it's, it's uh how how are we make our, how do we make ourselves essential to our communities, you know? And it's got to be more than just the plays that we provide, you know. Like that's definitely part of it. But but there's there's a civic life, and and there you know the the problems that our communities face just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and our imagination for solving them just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so how do we how do we take what we do and just build civic imagination? And, and, and how do we create pathways for action and how do we how are we just how do we bake in policy change into the work so that we're not just hoping that somebody will be moved and maybe they'll write their their Senator it's like, how do we build work that actually leads to that 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 is about. Um, transformation. Hmm. And it's really just kind of like like like, like the how, how do we just how do we take what we do and just like not apologize for it and just embrace it and just play play offense you mm-hmm. know or yeah, yeah 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 and just really just like go and take and everybody catch up you know mm-hmm. uh and just um and and do the things that we do well like we, we 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 create space for imagining we we know how to build consensus we know how to make meaning you know we we we, we rehearse the the worlds that we want to make and so how do we do that so that Everybody has access to it. So everybody's invited to do that and then make it real the way that we do in our stages. like, like it, it's, we, we, you know, it, it, so many things feel urgent and how do we start to um, to address that? Right. I have a short add-on to that. I mean, yeah, you know, totally. One of
2: the nice things about COVID was I really, knowing this was happening, got to shed a lot of the things that probably had my fingerprints on them And so Mark is not inheriting a bunch of initiatives or programs or people that need to carry on or should carry on or funded to carry on. He gets to start with a clean slate. But it's also, I think one of the ironies will be, Mark has been my muse for many years. And so when I really am posed with difficult topics, I call and chew on it with Mark. And then I parrot the words that he's given me. And so now he's going to say what he really says. And it's going to sound like he's just saying what I've said out loud before. (laughs) Really, just plagiarized it from him in the first place.
1: <laughs> well, the collaboration has already begun. I guess, and Mark, obviously you've already answered. You're going to do what Jack did, just uh, longer the t- t- ten hour, ten hour plays, right? No,
3: ten hour plays, exactly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <I had you laughs> cancel my subscription. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um.
0: If you don't mind, tell me a little bit about about what's playing now or what's about to open. You've got Imagine a U.S. Without Racism. Can somebody tell me a little bit about that?
2: Well, I'll just tell you about this transition year where we went from really finding great plays and, and commissioning great plays and producing with the highest possible production values to, I think, the important ingredient in this new strategic planning is that it's about listening. And, uh, and so Mark, over a year and a half, created this most beautiful home. Maybe that will have a long life about housing insecurity. And I, with a playwright, we dealt with race and philanthropy and through the lens of it, we did it in a zoo and where the audience moved through a zoo. And so it was all about listening. And so in this Seema Swaco, who is really a long time friend and collaborator, uh, I went to her about a little over a year ago and said, I have this much time what are the dreams you have that you'd like to do that can be done in my time? And she said, I'd like to interview people from every state in the country with the prompt, uh, imagine U.S. without racism and create an artistic thingy. It was never really going to be a play or at least wasn't started out to be a play. It was going to be some sort of artistic thingy It could have been an installation or any of a number of things. And it turned out to be a play, but there's that old saying that, uh, do what's necessary, then do what's possible. And eventually you're doing what's impossible. And that really came to mind as, as Seema said, I wanna take this on. And so she has done all hundred interviews with people in, from all 50 states and crafted a plan. Mine has really just been, I think some of my most rewarding work has been supporting the dreams of others. And so this has really been me supporting Seema to take that, but all of these projects this year are based on listening and we want to be part of your story, sort of our lead line and how do we do that? And uh, Mark has taught me how to do it and it turned out it was just, and sometimes theaters get in the way of theater. So we did a show in a theater and then we did a show in a former car dealership. And now we're back in our old 1887 firehouse um, for this last show that has its first preview tonight. And you've you, uh,
1: you had this, this uh... Cute thing you're doing with the turnover date, Jack. Can you tell us about that.
2: <laughs> you know, I just have a uh, super freaky mind that I see the world through numbers, and so yes, uh, the the date that we announced Mark was replacing me was two twenty two twenty two, and we decided that like a year and a half ago, uh, and so my last day is seven six twenty two because my first day was two two seventy six. Right. And you were 22 when you founded it, too. Was 20, yeah. So I found it on 2-2 when I was 22. Yeah. Believe yeah. Me, I can bore you with all the numbers that go through my head.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that, uh, that's great. Uh, and you mentioned also, Jack, that uh, we talked a little bit before the before the show, what you're going to do next. I mean, often artist directors go off and say, I'll direct a couple shows, you know, if, if the new guy will have me. Uh, But you you said you're gonna do a few things. Tell us about your next project. It sounded interesting. I
2: do think that the greatest thing I can do for Mark is to be as invisible as possible. (laughs) Absent as he'd like me to be. But uh, no, I did a show a few, I am a huge sports fan. As a matter of fact, in, in answer to one of those earlier questions, one of the highlights was really Sports Illustrated wrote an article many years ago about Mixed Blood as the most sports oriented play theater in the country. (laughs) <laughs> so there's a show we did about uh, immigration reform and immigration policy that we did in, uh, in CHS Field, which is the Twins AAA Stadium in St. Paul. And uh, the audience moves from the press box to the locker room to the luxury suites and sees this progressive story while the actors do their scenes over and over again. And so I went to Phoenix because as a Minnesotan, you want to go to Phoenix in January and February. And uh, I met with the Cubs and the Angels, and the Angels will host this show with Arizona State uh, that, will, that I'll be able to direct and produce next January. Uh, and it's a fantastic show, and it has about 20 some odd people in it, so it'll be able to service a lot of people. But I also went during uh, the pandemic and I uh, got certified as a family, first as a mediator, and then as a family mediator. So I'm going to hang up a shingle is a family mediator. And then there's the Innocence Project, an organization that takes wrongly, you know, tries to get wrongly convicted people freed from prison. And so I'm going to be doing presentations with them. And then I'm going to be a foster for senior dogs. <laughs> I actually have a 10-year-old dog I got two days ago.
0: Oh, that's incredible.
2: It could, oh. could stay a lifetime, but uh, so all of those things, it will be an interesting next chapter. And then I'm just going to look in the mirror and see who I am without this title.
0: Wow, um, you mentioned being a, a perhaps a sports theater. Is there anything that you think theater can take from sports or learn from athleticism?
2: Uh, you know, I mean, there's so much to learn from so many sports. Yeah, I mean, and I think that. Uh, you know, theater and sports are not so dissociated that we, we have never just done here's a sports play. It's always been, again, if mission is the litmus test we need to use to determine what the programming is going to be, those things have always, you know, so the issues, you know, certainly issues of race and class, uh, you know, play themselves into sports often. And then sports, just the very competitive competitive nature of them, um, so it started really at the very beginning. I think we did our first sports-oriented play in our second year and our last sports-oriented play this year. Been mm. a good ride. I
1: don't know if you're a big sports fan, Mark, but uh, I, I don't know. Uh, w- w- when will you get to put your stamp on on, a, on the programming in season? season. I mean, it sounds like well, Jack said you've already put your stamp on it, but <laughs> secretly, secretly, but um, when will you announce your first, uh, you know,
3: Mark this next blood season yes uh i i uh, zach was very generous and uh you know so, so i get to program next season uh and uh, and hopefully you know we, we're in process right now and there's, there's various ideas and uh 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 depending on how these conversations go over the next couple of months hopefully hopefully soon uh we'll kind of announce what we're doing kind of next year and um mm-hmm. It's uh, hopefully you know, I, I just really again just thinking about like citywide like like you know, Twin Cities, how you know how are we kind of doing our work where we're we doing it who we're we doing it with, and um, so so um, so hopefully soon. How's that for not the most vague hopefully answer in the world? <laughs> hope hope is good. That I have programmed for the
2: future.
1: <laughs> <Walmart>. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I did. I did notice. I think one, one tagline. I don't know if this is an official tagline, Jack and Mark. But uh, predictably unpredictable was one thing that I think mixed blood would would say about its work. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair? There's also uh, some years ago when you when you when you staged Flags by Jane Martin, uh, Jack. You gave us you gave us a quote to the magazine. You were quoting Chuck Me, but you said something about Chuck Me who said, "When the seats are full, the audience is smiling, and the politicians are quiet,
2: something is wrong." I, still <laughs> I said that. Just last month, on 22. I said it again. I do believe that.
1: So what's wrong with full seats and smiling audiences?
2: <laughs> you know, if that's the end, if that's the purpose of why you're picking what you're doing, it's really, uh, yeah. You know, the domain of the commercial theater is to ask audiences what they want to see and then provide that. Right. And domain of the nonprofit artistic director is to lead audiences to see that which they don't yet know they want to see. And that's sort of my philosophy.
1: Totally, Mark. When you talk about the civic scale, it makes me think about Cornerstone. It makes me think about. I know that Jack, you alluded to stuff that was done outside your theater, like at at various locations. But it makes me think that there's there might be some uh, non uh, non mixed blood uh, space, like site specific or whatever you want to call it. projects in the future. Yeah. Would that be part fair? Part I think of so. I, I yeah.
3: think that's so. You know, I mean, I think it's true. Yeah. One of the things is I, like, you know, I'm just curious about, you know, like, like, you know, we, yeah, you know, in this in this time of reckoning, you know, it's like uh, where, where does the work like I think about like, one of the questions I think Cornerstone kind of grappled with a lot was was kind of where is the where is the modern day town green? You know where mm-hmm. where do people gather where, where can we kind of engage one another where's the where's the commons you know and uh and i don't i don't know kind of where, where they are in our cities anymore and so uh and i've been talking about cities because we're in the twin cities and I, I kind of also just kind of want to recognize that there's towns there's villages there's you know like like large-scale urban kind of environments you know i live in l.a and and, and but but in the twin cities yeah, just think about like where, where can we congregate? Where can we where can we gather for for discourse? And a theater is certainly one of those places. But uh, but I, I just kind of I think about the you know the, the neighborhood that that mixed blood is in and the the block where where the the theater company resides. And of those five thousand people, I I don't know how many of them want to want to see a play. I don't know how many want to step into a theater. And, uh, and that's not to say that they're not engaged, that they're not interested in, in the ideas and the work and the questions and the, the dialogue, but, but uh, uh, if we're just gonna rely on everybody just to, to walk through our doors, then, then we're gonna be really lonely and, and we're not gonna be essential. And so, uh, uh, so I, I think part of it has to be uh, moving out and just kind of like going, you know, meeting people where they are and... Uh, and um seeing how that informs what what we do and how we talk about it and who we're who we're talking with yeah
0: wow Um, a lot to think about and a lot of logistics there (laughs) but it sounds so so fascinating um i'm thinking jack you mentioned doing a show at a car dealership and i just i can't imagine what that what that must have been like (laughs) Um, but any last advice for Mark? I'm sure you've had tons of these conversations, but, but Jack, do you have any advice?
2: Don't do what I do. (laughs) No, no, I really, I could, Mixed Blood could not be, you know, set in a better direction for the future that it's going to have than with Mark. And so I really, I think for the American theater, keep an eye on Mixed Blood in, you know, magnified ways from the way you have before. Because the best is yet to come. Well, that
1: seems like a great place to, to close. I really, really appreciate your time, today, both of you, Mark, Jack. It's the house that Jack built, and the one that Mark's taking over. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Offscript is a is a production of American Theatre, which is a publication of Theatre Communications Group. And I hope that you all go to our site and donate to us to keep us going, keep good journalism, and, and conversations like this going. Uh, again, Mark. Jack, thanks for your time. Our usual producer, Anne Charlene, will be back, be back next time. And thank you, Allie, as well.
0: Thanks uh, so much. Next... It was so great to see everyone.
1: Until next time, see you at thanks the you. All right, bye now.